The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 196 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is Veterans Memories Caring for Veterans. In a past episode of Family Caregivers Unite, a retired Canadian firefighter described his family caregiving for his wife who lives with advanced Alzheimer's disease. He began by talking about their lives as childhood sweethearts and how they enjoyed dancing. After the broadcast, he called me to say that he and she listened to the broadcast together and at the point at which he talked about their lives of childhood sweethearts, he said, she snuggled up to me. Military veterans have powerful memories of special significance to them, which is why our topic today, Veterans Memories Caring for Veterans, is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. Tiffany is Senior Clinician Scientist at Baycrest Rotman Research Institute and Staff Behavioral Neurologist at Baycrest's Sam and Ida Ross Memory Clinic. She holds a dual appointment as Associate Professor of Neurology and Geriatric Psychiatry at the University of Toronto. She authored The Memory Clinic, a book in which she shares stories of hope and healing for persons with Alzheimer's disease and their families. She developed a popular website for children who are caregivers to middle-aged parents with dementia and also an educational activity book for children too young to access the Internet. She serves patients with early-onset dementias in her Baycrest clinic. Her Search explores neuroimaging to identify reasonable biomarkers for frontotemporal dementia, mild cognitive impairment, and Alzheimer's disease. And she actively participates as a medical advisory council member of the International Association for Frontotemporal Degeneration. Jill is a project manager for the Historica Dominion Institute. She oversees Canada's largest oral history project, which since 2009 has interviewed over 2,600 veterans of the Second World War and the Korean War. She's worked primarily on the Memory Project Archive and Speakers Bureau since 2006, 
but she's also managed programs such as the Sir John A. Day Education Campaign. She holds an MA in Public History from the University of Waterloo and an MA in History from Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador. And she's traveled from St. John's to Whitehorse and all points in between in search of veterans who are willing to share their stories. So welcome to the show, Tiffany and Jill. Thanks for having us. Great. Now, Tiffany, starting with you, please tell us more about your work. Tiffany? I am very lucky to have both a research and clinical mission in my role at Baycrest and within the University of Toronto. Um, And these two things really empower each other. Uh, When I'm doing research, there's a lot of bean counting and paperwork, but what inspires me to get through those things to do the research are my patients and their families in the clinic. So wherever possible, if there's something that I hear about that works for families, such as using old memories of times gone by, then that informs some of the directions that I can take my research in. Let me ask you, Jill, to say more about the work you do. So as Gordon mentioned, I work for the Historica Dominion Institute, which is Canada's largest independent organization dedicated to Canadian history, identity, and citizenship. And we provide educators and students and all interested Canadians with a variety of educational programs and events and resources that help Canadians young and not so young engage in meaningful ways with their history and identity. And we use groundbreaking public opinion research and innovative TV programs, new media, and in-school programs um, to get these uh, messages across. Um, We find that one of the best ways to promote Canadian history is to speak directly to the people who lived it. Um, The Memory Project, as you mentioned, is a great example of this philosophy. It's an ongoing project that chronicles and shares Canada's participation in the military arena from the First World War to the modern era. Um, The project is made up of two main components. One, as you mentioned, is an online oral history archive, and the other is a speaker's bureau. Um, So the archive is an opportunity for veterans and students and educators and all Canadians to view hundreds of personal artifacts of Canadian servicemen and women from across the country. Uh, The Memory Project Speakers Bureau connects veterans and Canadian Forces personnel with students online, but also in person in classrooms um, across the country. Tiffany, back to you, please. Please tell us about the Memory Clinic and the work it does and how you go about the work. Tiffany? So I'm one of six clinicians at the Sam and Ida Ross Memory Clinic um, within Baycrest. And we have a wide range of patients. Some come in because they are young and they have parents who have dementia, so those young adult children are worried and they want to be evaluated for a good baseline and then followed over time. But uh, the, the vast majority of our patients are over the age, well over the age of 70, actually. Most of our patients are in their late 70s or in their 80s. And uh, exactly the topic of today's podcast is what they are happy to talk about. Uh, it's easier for them to talk about it. And so when I'm in the clinic doing an evaluation of a person's language abilities or their orientation to where we are now in time and space, it's often helpful for me to use that time, their time as, a, as in the war, uh, as a reference frame. And then we can go from there. 
and it, it helps them to ease into what would otherwise be perhaps a nerve-wracking situation. A lot of people don't like to go to the doctor's office, and once you're older and you have several medical problems, the last thing you want to do is skip the bridge game to go to the doctor's office. But if we're going to have an interesting conversation that carries the meaning of how they identify themselves, what did they do in their lives that was meaningful, then it becomes much more of a conversation and much less of a laborious trip to the doctor's office. That takes us very clearly into Jill's work, the, the memory project and the archiving. Jill, please tell us more about that. And also, can you give us some examples of the kind of stories that go into the archive? Jill? Absolutely. So the Memory Project Archive is nationwide. It's, as you mentioned, it's traveled across the country. Um, it's bilingual, and it's all made possible through generous funding from our uh, funders at Canadian Heritage. Um, it's also created a record of Canada's participation in these wars. Um, the Memory Project provides veterans with an opportunity to share their memories through oral interviews, and we also digitize any photographs or documents or even objects that they have from their time in the service. And these stories are all made available online for teachers and students and the general public. Um, so the kinds of stories that we get from veterans are, um, they run the gamut. Some really feel it's important to share the realities of war and um, to talk about things that might be uh, traumatizing. But other veterans, it, you know, it, it, they talk about it like it's the time of their life. And they were young and they were um, away from home and, um, you know, they, they were on a bit of an adventure. So, you know, there are stories of love, stories of loss. It, it really runs the whole gamut. Um, so to date, we've interviewed over 2,500 Second World War veterans and over 400 Korean War veterans. And our team of interviewers are a group of young military historians who have a strong foundation in the history of these wars and also a genuine respect for the men and women um, that we're fortunate to connect with. Um, we often remind ourselves that this is really a privilege to speak to this uh, generation and I sometimes think that the project's ability to connect 30-somethings with 80-somethings is just as valuable as what we're collecting for posterity. Tiffany, just a quick question for you. When the memory is uncomfortable or unpleasant or shocking in some way, um, how do you know that, that it is so? And are the steps that you take to kind of deal with that sort of response ahead of time. Tiffany? Um, in Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common cause of dementia, there's a very interesting thing happening in terms of what memory is lost first and what memory is lost later. It's referred to scientifically as a temporal gradient, temporal as in time as opposed to temporal lobe. And it means that what you had for dinner yesterday is lost first. And then carving back in time so that your memories from when you were in your 20s and 30s are actually maintained for a nice long time into the course of illness. Alzheimer's disease can last as long as 15, 20 years. So some of these patients may be very capable of having that interview with a 30-year-old and talking in glorious detail about what happened at that time in their lives, whereas they can't tell you where they were last week or whether they've met you before because you were only in their life for the last Two years. Now, the memories that are most easily accessed are those that have some emotional weight to them. And that emotional weight could be very good, or it could be something that was extremely traumatic. But either way, that person 
may be able to voice exactly how they feel about that memory and that story, or if they're not able to articulate that exactly, you'll be able to pick up on the same body language that everyone uses if they're starting to talk about something that they are nervous about or that's unpleasant for them. They may become tearful, tremulous, uh, or they may actually say, you know, I can remember that very clearly, but I don't want to talk about it right now. Jill, just a very quick uh, quick question to you, because mm-hmm. we're running into the break. Um, what that speaks to, in my opinion, is the importance of your archive, that is, recording the voices of the people in such a way that they capture the story and what it meant to them, and the fact that the archive will, so to say, live beyond them, that is, it will be there forever. Mm-hmm. That's a key factor is it am i right in saying that oh absolutely and and i think the veterans know that they know that they're um they have a chance to leave a bit of a legacy um to really help people understand the history of those wars much better and how that time and period impacted people on a real human level um and i think the recordings that we take become very precious to the families that um of the veterans and the veterans themselves, um, we've had people ask to play our recordings at funerals and um, people who have found the recordings after someone's passed away, and they, and they become real keepsakes. So we're, we're really lucky that we get to provide something like that for families. All right. Now, it's time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When you look at something that's been designed, whether it's clothing, architecture, or a work of art, do you stop and wonder about the inspiration and thought process that went into the design? Tune in to Dishing the Dirt on Design with hosts Ann Asher and Eleanor schrader Shapa. We'll take the mystery out of the creation process, along with revealing the backstory from art to fashion to travel and so much more. Listen to Dishing the Dirt on Design every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. Our topic is Veterans Memories Caring for Veterans. So let's talk about the memories of elderly persons and say more about the way those memories work. So Tiffany, question for you. What's known about the responses of elderly persons with Alzheimer's disease to remind us of memories of things that were profoundly important to them in their younger years. You've already covered this to some extent, but I'd like you to generalize and say, what does science know? What do we know? Tiffany? I think I'll go back to what I mentioned about the temporal gradient. I think that when we're trying to evaluate a patient, we make them a little nervous because we start with the present and we keep going backwards in time until we can finally intersect with where their memory can get some traction. If we were to come the other way around, though, and start with perhaps high school memories, and then they went from high school into the war, then, again, that will set up uh, a way to more fully evaluate how their memory is functioning from from the, the good end as opposed to from the deficits. There's a, an entire move in neuropsychology to look at autobiographical memory when you're evaluating a patient, as opposed to looking at episodic memory, like who is the 16th president of the United States. Instead, having a prompt, probably somewhat like the the scripted interview um, that, that Jill's uh, staff are using, where they have the patient walk them through a narrative of their own lives at various important times, uh, and then we're able to score that person's autobiographical memory, and that will often tell us something about the nature of their memory loss and a little bit about prognosis if we are very early in a memory impairment scenario. Jill, back to you. Now, please, I want to know, please, from you, <laughs> more about the ways in which the memories of veterans are preserved and collected and that flows from what Tiffany's just been saying. That is, how do you actually go about um, collecting those memories, organizing them in terms of time and things of that nature? Jill? Well, I'll tell you a little bit about our process. So um, we conduct interviews either in person at events across the country or over the phone. So the phone has been a great help to us because we can they can sit in their favorite chair, they're in a comfortable place, and it's really just like a conversation. Um, and we do primarily audio recordings, but some video recordings as well. Um, the interviews are generally about an hour long, and then for the website we choose a five to ten minute clip uh, to display, and, and that really, um, we try to ex- sort of represent their experience um, in a mo- more concise way or um, pick out stories that are most compelling or unique. Um, we also showcase their personal photographs, so um, they either send them into us, which I've always been astounded that uh, veterans will trust us with their uh, precious photographs, um, or we digitize them in person, um, and we put them up on the website, and, and people can get a closer look that way. Um, a visitor to our site can look through the photographs that the veterans have kept private for over 65 years and then listen to the experiences in the veteran's own voice, which you, which you were right to explain is, uh, can be very emotional because you can hear the, the emotion in their voices. Um, we, we make the hour-long interview uh, available to families and to the veterans, um, and you can use our website to search by various um, 
terms like uh, you can search for all of the stories of D-Day or um, all of a certain regiment or all of a certain ship. Um, and we also try to create uh, learning tools for teachers so that these voices can enter classrooms and really help with the history curriculum. Tiffany, um, please explain more about the way in which the memory clinic, and I'm talking about the actual clinical clinic, works with memories that are important to elderly persons with Alzheimer's disease and to their family caregivers. In other words, um, supposing you've got somebody, uh, I don't know whether you use the word patient, I still do, uh, in front of you with Alzheimer's disease and you're beginning to see uh, by moving forward rather than backward where the break point is starting to come in the memory. Um, how do you work with that information? What do you do with it, Tiffany? So uh, the, um, there are many directions that we can go with that, what I would call a gem of information about the patient. There are patients who become disoriented, confused, upset, and frustrated because of their cognitive impairment. And we try to get their family members to be creative about how they can reorient that person to his or her identity and, uh, and, and reorient them to things that are comfortable for them or familiar. And something like a veteran's story would be a wonderful clue as to what we can put in his bedroom or on the coffee table so that he has something that he can talk to, uh, that he can talk to other people about, that he can find some comfort in. And so uh, oftentimes we'll, we'll get this kernel of information. Sometimes it has to do with what that person did as a job after the war, uh, worked at the airport. Great clues. That means, all right, he likes aircraft. Uh, so maybe we can get coffee table books that show pictures of airplanes. We can get some of the airline magazines that show airport layouts in the back. These are wonderful things for this person to occupy himself with instead of being frustrated about inabilities to do other things around the home. So these are really important ways to address what we call responsive behaviors. There are patients who cannot articulate what they need, Instead, there's a very confusing agitation that arises, but if we can distract into a more comfortable place, then we can have more success in helping that, that patient, I do call them patients, to feel safe and healthy and happy and accepted as he is. Now, the other part of this, though, I must say, the longer I'm listening to Jill, the, the more I want to ask this question, can I refer patients and families to the, the project um, absolutely. I think they would love to participate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're a little bit careful, and I think if we can connect with families beforehand, that would be great. We, we don't want to create a situation where um, our questions are upsetting a patient or a, a veteran, I should say. Um, so uh, we want to make sure that they're, um, they're comfortable with our process and that they think it'll be a, a good experience. But um, absolutely, we're happy to speak to as many people as possible. Okay. Now, I have a fun story on that note about expecting whether someone is going to be upset by the experience yeah. or delighted by it. Mm-hmm. I work at Baycrest, which uh, uh, arose from a Jewish home for the aging. And so we all uh, follow the principles of Judaism. The, the meals served to our residents are all kosher. Uh, and there is a great sensitivity to issues around the Holocaust. 
many of those patients are now in their 80s or even older. Uh, one of the patients in the nursing home uh, was the only person on her floor who was a Holocaust survivor. And the staff knew ahead of time that one of the um, healthy, uh, sorry, not healthy, but uh, the visiting pet program will sometimes send a, a dog or a cat over to visit for the afternoon. And they knew that the dog of the day was going to be a German shepherd. And they were very concerned that the presence of a German shepherd on the unit would upset this lady because she might think that she was being hunted by the Nazis all over again. This was the kind of dog that they used to track people. So they orchestrated everything so that she would be in her room at the appointed time, the dog would make its rounds, and she would never see it. But uh, despite the best intentions, she wandered out into the hallway with this dog visiting, and as the staff turned around and realized, oh, no, they're both in the hallway together, there was this sharp gasp, oh, no, what's going to happen? And what actually happened was that she opened her arms, she dropped to her knees on the floor, she was so happy to see this dog. The dog realized, ah, this person on the floor loves me most, runs into her arms. It turns out that her childhood pet was a German Shepherd. So there are many things that we might not know, we might assume would be painful for people. However, as you say, talking to family members first might give us a clue as to exactly how that might suss out. Now, Jill, I want to go to you um, to ask you a general question, which relates exactly to what you've both been talking about. Please, would you explain the care which you exercise in evoking, interpreting and recording veterans' memories for the archive? Jill? Sure. Uh, We are very careful about how we initiate our interviews. Our first contact with a veteran is what we call our pre-interview, and that's where we just collect a few biographical details and some basic information about their military service. It's usually just a a five- or ten-minute phone call, but it gives our interviewers a starting point where they can plan their questions and uh, maybe do a little research if there's a particular battle or campaign that they should uh, read up on. But it also um, helps us to sort of... take a good step towards building a rapport with that veteran and um, laying down a foundation of trust and camaraderie um, and answering any questions that the veteran might have about how the veteran or how the interview is going to work. Um, the interview is not meant to be anything like an interrogation or a real pressing for dates and times. It, we're more interested in um, our, their own personal memories. So the things that stand out to them um, from that time, it might be happy memories or sad memories. Um, we really don't press veterans to speak about things that make them uncomfortable or upset. Um, the interview is completely led by them, and they can sort of direct the conversation however they like. Um, sometimes they feel a real compulsion to share those harsh realities, um, and other times um, they're more sort of funny. So often the stories are about meeting their wives, which is, uh, is, is very interesting. Um, sometimes... Um, what we hear from veterans a lot is that they, they don't have anything interesting to say. They don't think they've got a story to share, but they totally underestimate how extraordinary that time in history was, considering that so many 18- and 19-year-olds nowadays are just learning to drive or maybe heading off to their first year of university. Young people during the Second World War particularly were heading overseas and learning incredible skills that they might never use again, like how to fly a plane or shoot a Bren gun or something. Um, and they were losing friends and dealing with the terror of combat. So it's um, things I can't personally imagine. Um, 
So usually once we sort of get the ball rolling and we find out a little bit about the veteran, there's always something unique about their story that that really adds to our overall understanding of those times in history. Um, We try to make the veteran understand that we want them to be happy with the story that ends up on our website and that we'll make any change or edit to ensure that they are happy with it. Um, We also reassure them that the interview will be led by them. Our interviews are usually like... um, Like you mentioned, Tiffany, we sort of start from the beginning. So we ask questions like, what made you enlist or where did you do your basic training? And we let the conversation evolve organically from there. Um, We're fortunate that many of the veterans that approach us to participate are already quite extroverted, so they don't need a lot of prompting to get a good story going. Um, But that said, we're also quite used to dealing with more reserved veterans, and we try to make them as comfortable as possible. Um, I once interviewed a veteran who was a prisoner of war in Japan during the Second World War, and um, I'd been cautioned that he was sort of anxious about being out in public. Um, And in the interview, I was relieved when at the end he was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. So I think you could tell he was a bit anxious about it, but it ended up being um, a positive thing and a pleasant experience. So that's really uh, what we're we're aiming for, and we try to end the interview on an upbeat place as well. So we'll ask them towards the end sort of what you did in your working life and tell us about your grandkids and, um, you know, where you're living and uh, plans for the future and that kind of thing. So we try to, you know, um, leave them in a, in a place that's um, sort of more positive. Talking about leaving, just for the Mm -hmm. moment anyway, it's our time to take the short break, so we're going to do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Etherley, and my guests are Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Pearl River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G 
at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. Our topic is Veterans Memories, Caring for Veterans. Let's talk about evoking and archiving powerful memories and help for family caregivers caring for family members with Alzheimer's disease. So, Tiffany, please, in what ways is evocation of powerful memories becoming important in the medical care of persons with Alzheimer's disease? And in particular, what are the things that family caregivers should know about the way that importance is growing? Tiffany? I think that the arena of dementia care has gotten past the early difficult days of concentrating on just making a diagnosis. The next phase was trying to find a cure in a hurry. And the current phase is, wow, okay, this is so complicated. We're not going to have a cure tomorrow or 15 years from now or maybe even 20 years from now. But let's concentrate for now instead on what we can do to make this person's quality of life better. I think it's important for family members to understand that this is where a lot of knowledge translation work is going currently. And a huge part of that, um, as led by our neuroethicists, is let's concentrate on personhood. This is not a diagnosis walking around. This is a person who had quite a full life until this cognitive impairment set in. And things will not change overnight. This will be the same person for quite a while. So let's concentrate on what is still there to enjoy and to converse with. This is a really, this, this, the, uh, the projects that we're talking about in today's podcast are so important for exactly that kind of success in enhancing the patient's quality of life. I mentioned before that we have uh, some behavioral disturbances that arise when it's difficult to communicate what you need. These are called responsive behaviors. And I think most people out there want to avoid more medication prescriptions being added to the regimen. The people who have Alzheimer's disease generally are older. They have other medical problems. If they're taking things for diabetes and heart problems, then why do we want to throw in two more medications to try to tranquilize them? Um, out of being upset about something that we don't understand well enough. Going to a place where the patient still clearly remembers a story about himself or herself within a broad context, interacting with other people, having a very meaningful existence, that is the key to reducing the need for tranquilizing medication. So this is why it's important for Healthcare providers, whether it's the outpatient doctor, clinician like me, or the personal support worker who's hanging out with the patient all day long, or the recreational therapist at the day program, all of us need to hear, gee, dad really still likes to talk about those old days when he was firing that, that weapon out on the front lines, or uh, when he finally came home from the war. Whatever it is that still turns this person on, we need to know about that because that allows us to connect with that person in a meaningful and usually therapeutic way. That's right. That's the common goal. Jill, 
that's a perfect um, entree to the question I want to ask you, which is for you to say more about the benefits that you see the Memory Project Archive bringing to veterans and their family caregivers. What are those benefits, Jill? Well, we've had a few experiences where veterans participating in our project for the first time uh, or becomes the first time where uh, family members really learn about what their mothers or fathers did during the war. Uh, we once had a man um, at one of our events who brought a, a scrapbook full of photos from um, his experience at one of the concentration camps, um, which is not, uh, you know, a fun story, but it's the first time his daughter really knew what he did over there, and she had no idea that he had uh, been exposed to such an incredibly significant thing in history. Um, so the Memory Project was really a catalyst for that family learning more about uh, their dad's story. Um, it opens doors for families to ask more questions, and sometimes the veterans may not volunteer these stories, but if you ask, they are quite pleased that you're interested, and it's just a matter of asking. No one's really asked before. I think there were decades where uh, talking about the war just sort of wasn't done in that generation, and people wanted to kind of put it behind them and get on with things, but as we recognize that we won't always be able to ask these questions, um, and the veterans know they won't always be around to tell them, um, there exists a certain sense of urgency to collect these stories while we can. And I think there's something about the fact that our interviewers are all strangers um, that makes the veterans more comfortable talking about their experiences in the war. It's as though they feel like they won't be burdening us with any potentially painful memories. And because our staff are so well-versed in the history, um, they're able to take those stories and put them into the context of the war. Um, and we're able to sort of prompt them and say, oh, well, you were at this battle, so you must know about this thing. And um, I think they really appreciate that sort of level of knowledge that we can give them. Um, knowing that they're being interviewed by us also encourages them to recall sequences of events that make up their story. So um, they kind of have to prepare. They have to think about it and, and get um, get sort of prepared for the interview. And that um, that helps them talk more comfortably with it about it later. Um, they also get a lot of reassurance and confidence from our interviewers because we're so truly engaged in what they're saying. Um, we treat each veteran with a certain amount of reverence and respect, and I hope that they understand the gratitude that we as a staff feel for their experiences and sacrifices. Um, I've heard from many uh, family members that, um, you know, we, we get posts on our Facebook page from young people who say, oh, I found my grandfather's story on your website, and um, it's really great that it's, um, that it's out there for, for all time to come. Great. Um, Tiffany, just a very big question now. Where is your research leading for care for Alzheimer's disease? Uh, I would say there's uh, there's two two major projects going on. I'm a collaborator with a study headed up by Lynn Howarth over at uh, University of Toronto. She has a way to bridge the gap between early Alzheimer's disease patients and the um, the interviews that Jill's just been talking about, where everybody knows ahead of time and they sort of do their own homework in terms of, ooh, yes, what do I remember of my own story to tell? And I'm going to gather up some of the, um, the tchotchkes that, that I picked up during the war and I'm going to assemble this story as a package and bring it with me to the interview. Patients with Alzheimer's disease are not quite able to do that. So in her project, 
the research assistant will do, again, a very gentle, open interview. And as they learn which are the significant events in that person's life, they actually go on a scavenger hunt of their own to find tokens that may evoke those memories again. For instance, um, a fellow was talking about how excited he was when Queen Elizabeth visited Toronto. He was there. He saw her. So they actually somehow found a matchbook, uh, uh, sorry, a matchbox that had been made as a commemoration of that event. And I don't know how they found it without having to pay $100 on eBay, but they found a matchbox with her picture on it, and they put it into his box. So he had somewhere between five and ten objects that could become conversational pieces, which happen to evoke exactly the memories that he's still good at. And I love that idea. It's something that we can show family members how to do. And I, I love that Jill was relating the instance of, and there are probably many of them, where the family themselves don't actually even know these stories. They weren't told these stories because they never asked. So in the grants that I've been submitting lately, we are looking to do more intergenerational work um, and starting first with uh, teenagers to try to make them aware of brain health, how the brain changes over time, what kinds of modifiable risk factors can lead to dementia. And part of that project is also interacting with patients who are having a hard time with their memory. When I was in high school, they told us to talk to our grandparents, interview a grandparent about World War II. My grandparents all lived across the ocean from me, so I wrote a letter, and I got a very long letter in return Again, something that we'd never really had a conversation about, but it was a wonderful account of what happened on the bombing of Pearl Harbor, what they were doing, the sandwiches that she was making for the picnic. And this is a wonderful thing that grandchildren of patients with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias can engage in. Right. Tiffany, I'm just going to stop you there. Do not uh, have a a way of connecting with the grandparent or they feel afraid, but this gives them exactly the right platform for interaction. Jill, from your experience, because you're a professional, you you are a trained uh, historian um, at high level, what are the research or potential research questions you see um, that – perhaps need an answer in regard to help for veterans, family caregivers arising out of the work you do? Well, one of the offshoots of the Memory Project, as uh, I mentioned, is the Speakers Bureau. So it connects uh, people in real time instead of just online. Um, We have uh, hundreds of veteran volunteers across the country that go into classrooms. And I just feel that Veterans tell me all the time how much they get out of that experience. And I I don't even think it has anything to do with history. I think it's more about connecting with a younger generation. And I think sometimes we also hear from teachers that um, even their most disruptive student is, you know, wrapped in attention when a veteran comes to the classroom. So I think there's, there's definitely room to sort of developed more programs that connect these generations. Um, it seems that both sides get a lot out of it, and I just feel like there's, there's definitely room for more uh, programs like that. Um, I'd also love to know um, if, if what we do is, over, in an overall way, a beneficial thing. I, I mean, I know... We always want to believe that uh, recording a personal testimony is a positive experience and um, and is a great thing. And, and I, I'd love to have some research to back that up so that I, I know that uh, what we're doing is, is 
doing good for the community. Very clear. Now, I'm going to take the break at this moment, but I just want to comment that the way in which the stories that you both, Tiffany and Jill, are bringing together point to some links and where research is going in the way that you both describe it and also the sense that we're moving to care and not just making a diagnosis and that we're making, Jill, the kind of connections, intergenerational connections you're talking about, those are fundamentally important. Enough from me because it is time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guests are Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. Please stay with us. We're coming back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Ever wondered what private investigators really do and how they go about solving cases? Each week, PI's Declassified gives a glimpse into this little-known world. Join your host, Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator, in conversations with detectives and experts in the field. False confessions, forensic evidence, finding missing persons, exposing fraud, exonerating the innocent. All areas that Francie and her guests will cover. And have they got stories to tell? Tune in and call in to the live show Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on Voice America Variety. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voice America.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Tiffany Chow and Jill Patterson. Our topic is Veterans Memories, Caring for Veterans. Now, I want to talk about the ways in which families of elderly persons can be helped in managing their family members' memories in a positive way. But I've first of all got a question for Tiffany. Um, you'd asked Jill about referring people to her project i'm going to put that question to the other way around is there any way in which you would be able to accept referrals for your clinic from a project jill's project or projects like it um relating to veterans tiffany well i think that if anyone is concerned about memory function in the participants the, the way to go about this is to have that person's family doctor write a referral to a neurologist or a geriatric psychiatrist for further evaluation. Uh, we can't accept 
self-referred patients into a memory clinic um, just because it is a, a fairly limited resource. Uh, but in general, I think around the world, that is the way people get into memory clinics. Right. Good. Not very helpful. Now, I've still got following up with you, t- Tiffany, and this is a different sort of question. What do you personally intend to do and what more would you like to see done to provide more help to enable family caregivers helping elderly family members manage their memories in a positive way? Tif- Tiffany? This, participating in this podcast has actually reminded me of one more potential uh, I don't want to say weapon in my arsenal, <laughs> but perhaps <laughs> it's appropriate to the topic. When family members are, are, are just so tired that they can't be creative about ways to engage the, the, the patient or ways to help that patient have what, what turns out to be a meaningful day as opposed to a really boring day where nothing happened and we all just got upset at each other. This is one of those times where, uh, one of those techniques where I can say, you know what? You might want to be asked, what was it like to be in the war? And if that person has heard the same story 20 times, perhaps we can engage someone else to have that conversation, a fresh audience, if you will. And the other possibility here is that family members, when they are introducing the patient to a recreational therapist or a a new personal support worker or into a long-term care facility, the family member can be the advocate who says, and these are my dad's favorite things to talk about. It's a really nice way to introduce people to each other because it gives them a starting point for conversation right away. That's fabulous. Jill, what more would you like to see done to provide more help to enable veterans' family caregivers help their elderly family members manage their memories in a positive way? Well, I think it's interesting because I hear from later generations of veterans, so uh, Korean War veterans, for example, that seem to have a bit more uh, of a sort of professional support. They talk about being in group therapy or talking to a counselor, but I've never heard of a Second World War veteran saying the same thing. And I think uh, they're... There were, they were younger and there was a kind of, when they were younger, there was a kind of unofficial peer support network at legions and church groups and community organizations. But as they age, those networks sort of fade away. And I think um, some simple literature for families, which I'm sure exists, um, to help them determine how best to support their parents um, would be really helpful. Um, we at the Memory Project are very mindful that although we are experienced in discussing these memories, we're not counselors. And if veterans are feeling haunted, by memories, then speaking to a professional is obviously the preferred course of action. Um, I hope that our project helps to put these memories into a larger context for the veterans and that being amongst all of the thousands of veterans that are on our website, they sort of see that there are similar uh, people with similar experiences and that might give them a sense of being less isolated. Um, I think family members can get, uh, can be a great help even in helping their parents access the website or or see this sort of larger community, um, a community that we owe so much to. Let me go back to Tiffany on that very point. Spreading the word, so to speak, to the larger community in the way that Jill's just been talking about, uh, is that something that you think could be done via the medical profession? Absolutely. I think many times the caregivers come to clinic, they're tired, they've tried a bunch of things, but they still don't feel 
satisfied that they're doing a good enough job. And one of the things that I can do for them is to model an interaction with the patient uh, that, that actually works and that gets, gets the patient to smile and talk a little bit more than they ordinarily might. And so pulling out this technique of, you know, I'm interested to know what life was like for you when you were in your 20s. What do you remember of that? What can you tell me about that? Um, might remind them, oh, yeah, you know, he loves to have this conversation. And I can set him up for success by either having that conversation with him for the 21st time or having somebody else we know do that. It is a way to set that person up for success during the day. And, and that's what everybody wants to do at, at, at very baseline. Okay, now a different question. It's the same for both of you. Tiffany, what's your message for family caregivers for with family members who are elderly veterans? What's your message for them? I would say that family members are probably the best people to try to open that chapter of history with the patient. And while they may not have the time or the energy to hear that entire story, there are other people who do want to hear that story, and family members can be those liaisons to make that interaction happen, and it would be very beneficial for everyone involved. Jill, same question. What's your message for family caregivers with family members who are elderly veterans? What is it, Jill? Well, I would say, uh, to reiterate what um, Tiffany was saying, if you think your grand- or your parents would be interested in sharing their uh, military stories with the Memory Project, don't wait. Um, we, you know, we don't have the luxury of time um, to connect with, uh, with these men and women. And uh, once we get the ball rolling, um, I think they'll, they'll have a great experience with us. Um, I've had uh, children of veterans say to me that their father has sort of a new spring in his step after talking to us, and I think that speaks volumes to um, how it can really um, help families connect in different ways um, and also, um, you know, give the veteran a place um, where their stories are really appreciated and, and become part of a, a larger context. Comment to you both. Spring in your in the step isn't something that most of us associate with Alzheimer's disease and things of that nature. And it seems to me that that's, first of all, a very positive message anyway. But it's also a cue, I think, to the kind of developments in care that Tiffany was talking about. That is, there's an emphasis not, and I'm repeating her point, not just on making the diagnosis, but on figuring out the way in which uh, the situation, the clinical situation, the clinical challenges can be handled. And what I'm hearing from you both is that the family caregiver is enormously important in that kind of care that's going on. Now, that's a little bit of a loaded question because this this um, show is about family caregivers and their role. But starting with you, Tiffany, just brief, briefly, do you, re- do you actually agree with that summary that I've just made? I absolutely do, and I want to actually emphasize that a spring in the step is possible for every type of dementia for a very long uh, span of the illness. It may not be there every day consistently, but we can help put that spring in the step. People need to feel, and people with dementia, those of us who don't have it yet, we all need to feel safe, 
happy, loved, and healthy. And when you are reminded by your own storytelling that you were healthy, you played a very important role in history, there's that spring in the step right there. Right. Jill, still on the spring in the step, and that was your (laughs) construct, Um, the idea that your children didn't know what you did during the war, didn't even know enough to ask or didn't know about your role as a young person in difficult times, that must be important and spring in the step worthy to the veterans you're talking with as well as the family. Is that right? Absolutely. And I mean, I I really do think there's something very special about that generation of people. I mean, what they did in their, you know, their early 20s or late teens, um, it really built the country that we enjoy today. And I think we don't take enough opportunity to really recognize them for their service to us and um, to the country. And, um, you know, anything we can do, we'll never be able to do enough, but um, any small thing we can do to, to bring that spring to their step is, uh, is a pleasure for us. Great. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this profoundly important episode. Thank you both. Thank you, Tiffany, and thank you, Jill, for everything, sharing your experience, your insights, your advice. And may I, on behalf of all of us listening and the people you work with, work for, wish you both every success in your work. And may I say, and this is me being a little bit pushy, I really do hope that you get together in ways that will work so that you are able to extend to the communities, the broader communities, the work you're doing. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. In our next episode, we'll talk about high-risk responses to high-risk behaviors in mental illness. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.